0: That well, was going to be a huge decision in my life. I was 17 years old, and I thought about it. And um, I've been struggling with uh, you know my future and where I was headed. And uh, when I finally got to this Sunday night, the, the pastor actually spoke about it. And uh, he actually asked Sunday morning if anybody is interested in doing this. I'm going to be speaking on this tonight. And can I pray for you if, if you need prayer? Raise your hand. I raised my hand. And then he spoke on the issue of just full surrender and. And so it's like I'm, I'm i'm like here i am 17 and i was like saying to god here's the keys to my life I'm, I'm giving you the keys you can take my future and i had expectations of what was going to happen once i made that decision you know and i, I didn't think it was going to be real good i thought it was going to be hard but i handed it over to him and then i had expectations of what would happen the next day and so i went to school the next day at high school i'm a senior in high school and I remember walking around the campus I kind of had my like my head cocked because my expectation was God is going to tell me what he wants to do what he wants me to do with the rest of my life. It's happening today on Monday at my high school. And I kind of walked around Well, you know my eyes raised a little bit like okay. Any time now. And I remember I still have a picture in my mind of walking across the courtyard and seeing one of my basketball buddies, Rich Johnson, walking across that's emblazoned in my mind, my memory. And and then it was just I kept walking like and all day and nothing ever happened. And I didn't hear anything. And then I I, I well maybe tomorrow and Tuesday and, and nothing. And then pretty soon my expectations started to drop and Not Wednesday, not Thursday, not Friday, not the next month, not the next year. I went on for years not getting what I wanted. I mean, have you ever taken a huge step of faith with expectations and then it didn't happen the way you thought it was going to happen? You know, like, okay, I'm going to put my faith in Christ or I'm going to allow Jesus to be completely the leader and Lord of my life. He's going to be the center. And when I make that decision, all my problems are going to evaporate. Or all my personal shortcomings are going to get resolved. And then you wake up and you're like, hey, I'm still jealous. Hey, I still have a short temper. I still have a cutting tongue. I I still have cravings for drugs. I still have those dreams about, those user dreams about using in my dreams. And they're still there. I thought they'd be all gone. What happened? You know, and you're just like, when that happens, it's like, did we do something wrong? Did I miss something? Did I not have enough faith? You know, and it's, it's, it's difficult when you go through something like that. And what do you do when you do go through something like that? And your expectations are not met. Um, you know, there's, it's an interesting thing because there's a story in this book that we looked at last week. If, can anybody remember the name of this prophet? It starts with an H. Yeah, all right, Haggai. You can find him between the Zs. His zip code is between the Zs. Zephaniah and Zechariah Haggai. It's two pages. And uh, the companion book to Haggai is you go back to Ezra because that's what historically that's what's happening. The book of Ezra. Haggai is in that book of, of, of Ezra. Okay, so their story was the whole city had done something major. They let they li- the whole city listened to God, and so okay, God we it, well back they they let's go back. Here's what happened. So they came from Babylon they've been exiles and some of them were born in babylon but there were some old timers who actually were kids and they were exiled from jerusalem to babylon and they came back as old people back to jerusalem and they've been away for decades and they come back and what you know the walls broken down that's terrible because that's your defense the, the temple's a shambles because the temple is what identify them as a people that they worshiped as one true God, and then their houses were probably a mess when they came back. so I think they did what most of us would have done. The first thing they started to do was they, they dealt with their houses because that 's where you live that 's where you sleep that 's where you eat and so that 's what they did. They started taking care of their houses and they kept taking care of their houses, and they kept taking care of their houses and they kept take... that 's all they did was take care of their houses. They were doing home remodel projects one week after another, year after year after year it 's like it just kept going on it 's like and finally, God's like, time out. That, that's enough on you. I did not call you to be my people so you could experience the American dream. This is not about owning a house, folks. This is about you being my people and walking with me. And in order for you to do that at that time, not now, but at th- that time, you need to have a temple where you can worship and sacrifice and pray. That is the center of your city, of your nation, that is your identity, a relationship with me symbolized by being in that temple. And so God's like, enough of it, it was like 15 years of, re, of rebuilding their, their homes. So, okay, so 15 years, finally God says, Haggai says, listen, the reason, Haggai told him, the reason you're so frustrated in your personal lives and you're getting no traction and no satisfaction with all the food and the drink and the clothes you wear is because you do not have me at the center of your life anymore. And that's true. People don't put God at the center of their life. They're just frustration. It doesn't matter how much you get, you never get satisfied. Like Mick Jagger sang, I, no, I can't get no satisfaction, even though I try. That was their song. That was their theme song. And so the people heard this message from Haggai the prophet. And, and, and to their credit, they went and they said, okay, we're going to start rebuilding. And they did. Well, after they started rebuilding, it was about... Seven weeks in, they're rebuilding the foundation, right? And all of a sudden, people start looking around going, some of them going, um, this isn't what we expected. I mean, we just rearranged our lives. We, we we're working overtime. We've given money to this project. We're putting our elbow grease into it. And, and some people are like, this is not good. Uh, let me read to you what happens. This is Haggai 2, if you want to turn to it, verses 1 through 3. In the second year, of King, this is seven weeks after they started. They've been building now for seven weeks, almost two months. So in the second, second year of King Darius, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory how does it look to you now does it seem to you like nothing all right 7 weeks of rebuilding 7 weeks of giving their lives over and what do they have to show for it for the people been around they're like does this seem like nothing that's called a great unmet expectation if you go back, some of the, it's kind of, uh, use your imagination what this scene would have looked like. I'm going back to, like I said, the companion book to Haggai is Ezra. And in Ezra chapter 3, uh, I'm going to pick up in the last part of verse 11. It says, And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple, Wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. They couldn't tell the difference between some were crying, this looks terrible, and others, were like, yeah, woo they're crying. And it's like all this sound is going up in Jerusalem over this thing. And some, this is, this is, well, you know, the first temple was like a jewelry box in this desert. It was, it was spectacular. It showed the gold and silver was all petaled on the inside. You, this looks like a tool shed. We're gonna worship at a tool shed. I can't believe this. And and, and, and they're like, just what what would that have been like for the builders? And by the way, these remember they're using their older people now and they got their childhood memories because they left Jerusalem when they were kids? So they're remembering the the, the temple, and it was spectacular, but also it didn't have the glory of God because the, they'd been walking in so much sin and spiritual idolatry that the presence of God had left that place, and it sh- it soon just was whacked down by the Babylonians because God said, "It's coming. My judgment's coming because of your sin and your rebellion against me." So anyway, so it gets it gets um, they they're going on, and the people are just like. You know, you got to. Th- I'm thinking of the builders who are doing their best. It's like, you know, we're doing the best we can. And we got the people from years past, you know, making light of our work and saying what a lousy job we're doing and how we're we supposed to worship in this thing. And, and so um, it, it's, it's a rough time. What do you do? You've taken the right steps that God told you to do, and it's not working out. So God had a word for them through Haggai the prophet again. And I want to read this to you. Some of it's kind of hard to understand. I needed some help with interpretation. Like, what does that mean? But let me me take you to what uh, God's good word for the people when they didn't have their expectations met. When they took that step of faith. Which is a word for us today, too. So starting in verse 4, going back to Haggai chapter 2. It says, but now be strong, Zerubbabel declares the Lord. And be strong, Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. He goes on. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory. Temple number two, I'm going to fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Man, what a word for the builders, who've just been undercut by some of their own people. It goes on. Now this is the part that I really find a little harder to understand. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priest what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil, or other food... Does it become consecrated? The priest answered, No. Then Haggai said, If a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, It becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, So it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer here is defiled. Okay, now let me let me let's take this apart. Here's what God is saying to the people. As they deal with their great unmet expectations, after they made this huge change in their lives, things are not working out, and this is what he says. First of all, number one, be strong and work. Be strong and work. Here they are, trying to do a good thing and obeying God, and now the older people are crying over how bad it looks. Okay. Not only that, if you go back into Ezra, the companion book to Haggai, you also see that there were some non-Jewish people who were, um, not, who were resisting them and throwing up all kinds of roadblocks to the building project. So they had external obstacles and they had internal obstacles. They're, they're being disheartened and they have people in front of them trying to, trying to knock them out and, and prevent them from doing this. So what do you need? You need strength. And, and, and the prophet says, listen, God is saying to you, I have given you strength. My spirit is with you. Be strong. You need to know my spirit is, is with you. You use the strength that you have and work. Do the job. Notes to the grindstone. It does not have to look like Solomon's temple. You just do you right now. You just do you. You do what you can do. You may not be as skilled as those masons, you know, 800 years or five, 300, let's see, how many years ago? 1,900, uh, four or four, 500 years ago. Maybe you don't have the skills that they did. And you don't have the resources. You don't have as much gold, as much silver as they had. But you just do what I told you to do. It's fine. That's a good word. Be strong and work. And then, and then remember this. The future is going to be better than the past. Yep, Solomon's temple at times housed the glory of God. And it was an architectural wonder. But the temple you're building... That some think is kind of lame. Let me tell you something. That temple, temple number two, now they, he didn't spell this out. He just says the glory's coming. But I can tell you, we can tell you from history what happened. God in the flesh showed up in temple number two. The Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus of Nazareth, he came into that temple, he taught in that temple, he healed in that temple. He cleansed that temple. And when he was crucified, there was a curtain in the temple that was torn in two. To say that man and God can now be reconciled. And there is nothing keeping us apart. Because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. All that happened in temple number two. It may not look like much, but when God's in it, it is a lot. The the, the future is brighter than the past. Just... Get ready for something better that's coming. And number three, it's live well. Live right. What Haggai is saying is, holiness is not transferable. What do you mean by that? Well, just because you build a temple and walk into the temple and stand in the temple doesn't make you holy. If you're living a life that's corrupt and dark and sinful and degraded you don't you don't fix that problem by stepping into a building you fix that problem by having a changed heart there's got to be repentance you got to be you got to reform your life okay there's a there's a good um, example of this in in Jeremiah and the people were saying back then hey you know Jeremiah says this is chapter 7 this is what the lord says Reform your ways and your actions and I'll let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, Oh, this is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. He goes on to say, If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I'll let you live in this place in the land. Okay, so... Holiness comes through a change of heart. It's it's agreeing with God and walking with him and being reformed on the inside. So, you know, a lot of you know every uh, spring I go to my dad's house in Sun City uh, for spring training. And it's a way that we spend time with my dad. It's my one time I'm with my dad all year. So spring training. And my brother comes and now my sister started coming. When we first started doing it, I don't like sleeping in beds with other guys. I don't like rubbing their hairy legs, you know. So I was like, I'm not sleeping with you, Doug. You know, he had a bed for us, but I'm not sleeping with you, so where else could I sleep in a small house? So I had to sleep on the patio outside with the coyotes and the train going through. So, and I hear the coyotes, they kill a rabbit, and they start barking, you know what coyotes do. And so that's where I sleep. And then we did that, and then, he, then my dad moved to another house, and uh, then I slept in the laundry room. And actually, as far as laundry rooms go, it's a really nice one. It has a skylight, and it's pretty big. It was pretty nice. But then my sister started coming, so there wasn't room for me in the laundry room, so I had to move in the garage. So now I sleep next to his cars. That's what I do when I go. Here's the, you know, you, Can you believe this? Every year I go, I have yet to turn into a Honda Civic. Just because I sleep in a garage does not make me a car. Right? And just because you come into a church does not make you a Christian. There's not an automatic transference or conversion. It's something that happens that we have to choose. And that's what God is saying to them. Live well. Now, I want you to think about your life. And maybe these notes were already up there. So let's go back to number one. Be strong. Here's what we need to do. Okay, your expectations were not met. You took a step of faith and it did not work out. So what are you going to do? Here's what you do. Let's take the game plan from Haggai. Be strong in the Lord and work out your salvation. Be strong. Ephesians 6.10 Let's read this together. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in his power and his strength. Wherever you are in your life, use that strength and that power and move forward. It's not like, well, I just need to kind of give up because nothing's happening. No, you need to keep going forward, not backwards. And you have the strength. If the Spirit of God is in you, you have it to move forward. And then he said, and work out your salvation, read Philippians 2.12, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Keep learning, keep growing, don't ever give up. Listen, I'm not the brightest crayon in the box. I'm not the smartest guy, I'm not the greatest leader, I'm not all of those things. It's like, I am just who I am. It's like, I'd be one of those not very good workers, masons, you know, making mistakes, chipping at at the stone to make the new temple. But it's like you just you just do you. What what has God put on you? Do that and do it the best that you can, and keep growing and getting better. So you keep learning, you keep reading, and you keep praying. If you don't know how to pray, you learn how to pray, and you keep sharing your faith and you keep showing up to worship. And you, if you're not in a small group, or start going to one. But just keep going, keep going, keep learning. I mean, I learned something about relating to us, the secular world, by reading in in Ezra this week. I, I got I was like. Oh, that, that's really good. It was this little nugget. Well, I never saw that until this week. That happens all the time. I'm always learning new things. That's the way it is with God. You keep, you keep going, you keep learning. You know, I, I was disappointed in my, I, I disappoint myself too much when it comes to sharing my faith. And so at, right after the fires, I was talking to the brother of one of my neighbors. He had to evacuate, and he, he was, and as we're talking out in on, on front of my house, I could see the fear. I could see it in his eyes, and I could hear it in his voice. And I'm talking to him, and I'm, I'm sitting there. So many times I do this, like, okay, how do I bring God into this? How do I bring faith? Because this guy's struggling. And I, I, uh, I didn't. I didn't do anything. I listened to him, and that's good. But I didn't, I didn't say anything to help him a whole lot. And the conversation was done, and I went away, and I just went, Lord, would you help me if it happens another time? If I meet somebody who's really scared after these fires, would you help me to to share some life with them, some hope? Guess what happens on Monday? So I come back. I'm doing errands, and I forgot to take something with me. I come back to my house. I wasn't even supposed to be in my driveway because I forgot something and this woman walks up behind me. She says, hi. She's walking her dog. She say, hey. And I met her like once before. And we start talking. I say, how are you doing? She was, her home burned down in Mark West Springs. And she's renting in my neighborhood. And um, I said, how are you doing? And, oh, I'm not doing good. I'm so scared. I really, it really shook me up when we had those beep things started going off on the phone. I was like, so, And everybody in our house was scared. We're just frantic. And it's like fear had her by the throat. And I'm talking. Here we go again. Here we go. Here's my second opportunity. What am I going to do? So I'm, I'm, I'm talking to her, and I finally, you know, I'm going to say something. And I said, "Hey, um, do you ever, you ever get any outside help with your fear, like God?" And she said, "You know, I, I kind of tried, and I, I'm just not." And we kept talking, and I said, do you know the number one command in the Bible is do not be afraid, do not fear? I said, 365 commands, one command for not being afraid for every day of the year. Think about that. And so we talked a little more about fear, you know, God being with us. He's the one who drives it out. And I said, can I pray with you? And she said, yeah, that'd be good. She turns, she kind of turns, and I walk up to her, put my hand on her shoulder. And we're standing on my sidewalk in front of my house. And we have this prayer, we're done, and she has tears. And we just kept talking and going. I said, if you need any help, you know where I live. I'm in the blue house right here. And she said, you know, I wasn't even supposed to walk this way today. I rerouted myself. And I said, I wasn't supposed to be in the driveway. It's like, I think we were supposed to meet today. I think so. But you see, I flubbed it up the first time. And then the next time, you can do better. So you keep going, you be strong, and you work it out. That's the beauty of this life with Christ. You go from glory to glory. You just keep being transformed and changed. It's just a beautiful thing. And then the third thing is just to live well. You, put on, you dress up. You put on new clothes. Read this with me. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So put on the new self. Put on Christ. You know, here's the interesting thing about this story. None of these people experienced Haggai's promise for themselves. You realize that? The, the future, the glory of the second temple would be greater than the glory of the first. Well, guess what? You know when that glory came? It was like 500 years later. America hasn't even been, isn't even that old. Our nation. I mean, George Washington would be, wouldn't even be, an, he, he'd be, he, young. well, let's see, that was 200 and some years ago. George you know, I mean, we're talking 500 years out. These people never saw it. They never experienced it. But they, they, they laid the foundation and paved the way for the future generations by what they did in the present. They're the ones who built that temple. So what if you're faithful now? Your personal expectations may not be satisfied. But what if you set the table for future generations? What if you have a great, great, great grandson or granddaughter that is impacted by the faith that you have? I don't—we don't. That's long-range thinking, but we need to have that. What if one of your descendants or somebody that you impact—that's not a relative—becomes, you know, a youth leader or a missionary to Muslims or a great writer that inspires people, or they become a pastor or an evangelist or a lawyer that works against injustice? What if they become a teacher or something in the marketplace, some, a businessman in the marketplace that impacts the marketplace? Or a teacher that, is, you know, there's so many possibilities if we will just do that. If we will invest our lives that way. I got to tell you this story. I was just been touched, you know, by, by Harry. This is Harry's Bible. Uh, this Bible is probably from the 1800s. And Harry was my great grand my great grandfather. And in this Bible or notes, he was a, what I'm told. I don't know a lot about him. I could get, barely get his name out of my dad. It was hard. I mean, they didn't pay much attention. And Harry only lived to be like 45 years old. But what we're told is that he was a he was a uh, he rode horseback. He was a circuit rider on horseback, and so he'd get on a horse and he'd ride around in different towns and he would share the gospel with people. And there's notes in this Bible about the size of the ark. And he says, this is what science says about the way, what constitutes a man that talks about the body. And he has notes about Abraham. And in the it looks like a horse stepped on the corners in the New Testament. He's got notes all in the margins. They're so small, you can hardly read them. But it's my, I got it when my grandma died at 99 years old. I was given this Bible after she died. But my great-grandfather, Harry, died when he was 45 years old. I don't... No, I don't think he thought, what, is my, what, what impact is my life going to have? What's going to happen as a result? So, you know, he's a small town guy. He probably didn't have much of an education. He may not have been a good teacher or preacher. I don't know. But I know this. He had a boy named Merrill, Merrill Bassett. So Harry Bassett had Merrill Bassett. Merrill Bassett, he never got to see his own son become a pastor. Merrill Bassett was a, a, was a pastor for 40 years. And then Harry had a grandson named Milton Bassett. Milton Bassett was a pastor for 40 years. And then he had a great-grandson named Rick Bassett. That's me. And I've been a pastor for 32 years. And I've been a... a, uh, Yeah. I've been a worship leader for four and a half. I'm in my 37th year of ministry. And I've got a son. He's had a great-great-grandson named Jeff Bassett. Who's been a pastor for five years. And if you put it all together, it's almost 120 years. A pastoral ministry from Harry. From Harry on horseback. Just going around. You know what about what about for us? Just saying it's like these people, I'm just gonna do, I'm gonna do what you told me to do, and it may not be very impressive, but I can set the table for future generations. I want to be strong and I wanna do the work, whatever God's called me to do. Because what else is there? If you abandon it, if you give up, you take your foot off the gas pedal. I mean, a life without Christ of not moving forward is just like in sin. What hope is there in sin? It erodes our souls until it destroys them. There's no hope there. So we might as well go forward, even when it's hard. We're not saying it's not hard. It is hard. But that's why there's power. There's the power of the Spirit to help us. So what I want to do today is just, and some of you just to come up and say, God, I want you to help me to be strong in your Spirit, to do what you want me to do. And to do the work. And some of you to come and pray. You've got, one, you've got family that's lost. And you want to see them in the folds. And you want to pray for them this morning. And see, you want to see something great happen in those generations. I pray for my grandkids all the time. I pray they grow up the way Jesus would grow up. In wisdom, in stature, in favor with God and men. That's my prayer for my grandkids. And I don't know, I'm going to keep praying it. Because I want to see that happen. And so if you want to join me at the front, I'm going to be praying for myself, but also to pray together this morning. Why don't you stand up? We're going to sing a song. And as the song is playing, just come to the front, and we're going to pray together this morning.
1: Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me. With your heart and lead me in your love to those around me And I will build my life upon your love It is a firm foundation
0: let's pray Lord Father we thank you that you're a faithful God that you did what you told those people you were going to do even though it took 500 years that's just like wow so God we're here today to stand before you praying that you make us strong in your spirit and work out our salvation to work it out whatever it is to keep moving forward because we're not just living for ourselves. We're living for kids and nephews and nieces and grandkids and great-grandkids and great-great-grandkids. What we do matters for the long run, Lord. For a thousand generations, it matters. Help us, Lord. Think of this little guy right here. What's his name? Kiano. Keanu. I'm going to pray with him. Lord, this little guy, Keanu, we thank you for him. He's one of those future generations. We pray your hand upon him, that you guide and direct his steps. Give him faith that he would know you. He'd be drawn to you, Lord. Bless him. Lord, for other other children that are in this building, we pray for them, that you would be the sweetest, best thing they can think of. You'd be their greatest dream. They'd be champions of Christ. They'd be fully devoted followers of Jesus. They would impact their schools and their neighborhoods. Use them, Lord. Give them your spirit. Make them strong we pray. Make them impact this city, that they would be a light as well as us, Father. Thank you, God, for second chances, that we don't have to be perfect, that we blow it sometimes. But there's another chance to share with a fire victim who's scared. There's another chance to pull out that hammer and that chisel and chip away a little bit, do a little bit better the next time. Thank you, Father. God, we pray that you'd be with our kids, So we just want to give them up to you today. In fact, I want to ask um, you, if how many of you are up here for kids? Do you have kids you want to pray for? If you've got your hands up, find somebody else. And I want you to pray for each other's kids right now. Find somebody to pray with their children, okay? And we're just going to end like that. When you're done, we're done. So do it. Hear our prayers for our children, we pray in Jesus' name.